baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley and it is time for our weekly chat about what's going on with the Atlanta Braves as we continue to make our way through the 2020 regular season. We have got more than a third of the way there. In fact, we are closing in on the halfway point with the trade deadline just 10 days away as we sit here recording this show here today. A lot of stuff to get into on the show with what's going on with the Braves and what's going to be going on with the trade deadline. I'll be joined by Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution ever so shortly. Before I do that, though, before we get into that conversation, I want to remind you that you can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Every episode of the show, all the articles, and so much more can be found at FromTheDiamond.com. You can also follow the show on social media. We'll start with Twitter, where you can find it at FromTheDiamond underscore. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And you can find the show on Instagram at FromTheDiamond, and I am at Grant McCauley on Instagram as well. I mentioned fromthediamond.com where you can find every episode of the show, also the articles and stuff that I'm going to be writing, especially leading up to the trade deadline. You'll also see a new tab at the top of the website on the main navigation for fromthediamond.com that says store. And that is where you can find the all-new From the Diamond t-shirt, very first one that I've been able to put out. Appreciate those of you who've ordered already. It says in-play yikes right there on the front just to play off of the MLB at-bat app. And, of course, when a play doesn't go according to plan for the Braves or for your team, it doesn't really matter which team you're pulling for. And, of course, I like to call it the right shirt for the wrong play. So you can find that over at FromTheDiamond.com. It's on my Teespring store. It is in-play, yikes, and you can find it there on FromTheDiamond.com. It's available in men's and women's sizes in three different colors as well. If you do happen to buy one, be sure to take a picture of it, share it with me on social media. Maybe we'll do something nice for you. You never know. There could be a surprise giveaway in our future as well. So just keep a lookout for that. FromTheDiamond.com, in play yikes is the shirt, and you can find it on Teespring as well. With all that plugging out of the way, let's jump into our weekly conversation on what's happening with the Atlanta Braves. And to help me do it, it's Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can follow his work on Twitter at GabeBurnsAJC. Gabe, hope you've enjoyed a little bit more time to yourself, a little bit of off time, if you will, as the... Braves have been making some news this week, and I guess let's start with the biggest headline that we can find, which is when an organization calls up its top prospect, which Atlanta was able to do this week, even though we haven't gotten to see him play yet, and it's been about 72 hours as we sit here on a Friday morning, but Christian Pache has arrived, and you have arrived on this podcast, and this intro is a rambling, ridiculous mess. (laughs) Thanks as always, Grant. Yeah, you know, two years ago, Acuna came up and he provided a spark after they'd lost a couple games in Cincinnati and the offense just really, really needed some life. And last year, Austin Riley came up. Mm-hmm. He provided a spark. And, you know, they, you know, Josh Donaldson, Brandon, everything just kind of came together. Right. They wound up winning 97 games. 
right now it, it feels like they sure could use a spark. So so maybe uh, maybe Pache is the 2020 version of that. So uh, obviously everybody's pretty excited to see him. We know what he can do defensively and just seeing how he's grown uh, grown with the bat mm-hmm. and will continue to improve. You know, we, we don't know what kind of impact he's going to make immediately there, but it's certainly going to be uh, fun and intriguing to follow it. Yeah, and you make a really good point there as well when you talk about the spark that has been provided the last couple of years by some top prospects. It doesn't get much bigger than what Ronald Acuna Jr. did, of course, in 2018. That's well documented. But Austin Riley was a big part of the Braves' offense really turning the corner last year. Pache, though, represents a totally different type of player just because, as you mentioned, the style of player he is. Defensively, he's elite. With the bat, he continues to take those strides and make those strides to become a more complete hitter and has the last couple of years. I'm interested to see how his playing time will be decided by Brian Snitker because Ender Arte has struggled a lot this year, but he is, for all intents and purposes, with Acuna on the I.L., Ender is the Braves center fielder, of course, but it seems like a really good time to see what Pache can do, and he's a pretty darn good defensive outfielder. It feels like eventually we'll see a lot more of him in center. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels inevitable. We saw, you know, they didn't play Wednesday, but we, we saw the lineup, and they had put Pache in left. They had Duvall in right and Ender in center. And that could be, you know, is that, that could be what we see Friday as well. Uh but when Acuna gets back and, you know, once they kind of figure out, because this, look, Pache's playing for a role here. He's not guaranteed to stay up here. That's the reality of it. And if he does play well and he earns time, I would think that, you know, however this plays out, if he's playing well, it winds up with him spending uh, the vast majority of his time in center. Yeah, I think it will eventually end up being a center field assignment for Christian Pache, and it could be that way for a very long time. But this does feel like a little bit of a sneak preview in a lot of ways where even though we've been eagerly anticipating Christian Pache getting a chance to come to the major leagues and show what he can do, the Braves have had a pretty crowded outfield this year. It got a little less crowded because Nick Markakis had a COVID scare. He was uh, potentially exposed to COVID-19 uh, through you know something off the field, away from the ballpark, away from the team, thankfully. But he has tested negative. Atlanta's going to hold him out with, uh, as we've used this term quite a bit this year, with an abundance of caution. They're going to hold Nick Markakis out, I would imagine, for a few days. So I think Christian Pache could stay up after Nick gets back. But as you mentioned, there is a numbers game at play there. And with the number of off days the Braves have, they have at least a little bit of flexibility because they don't need a fifth starter for a while. Yeah, and it's like what we talked about at the beginning of the season when everyone wanted to know how Pache and Waters could factor into all this. And it was it was certainly it was not easy to find to find a path to playing time. And we yeah. kind of both agreed at the time that it, it would take people struggling and injuries, and that's kind of what's happened here. We hope Marcus continues to test negative and. Everything's fine with him and his family. Uh, everyone's taking this very seriously, but we know how it affected him, and it affected him enough for him to decide not to play there yeah. for two weeks. Uh, so we hope everything is okay there. But given where Ender has been, and we, and we hit on him last week uh, pretty heavily, but you know, I know he had the three-hit game the other day, but just given his performance, you know, we'll see when Nick gets back. But there is no question there's an opportunity for uh, Pache here. And if he can play well enough, I would think they're going to keep him up here. And I would think that eventually he just takes over center field. 
I don't think that would surprise anybody. Mm-hmm. I think the big thing is going to be how he, I mean, obviously it's going to be his offense. I mean, we know what he can do defensively. Um, he's, yeah, you know, it's like a J.J. Cooper from Baseball America tweeted, well, he's the best defensive left fielder For sure. uh, in the majors tonight when he was in the lineup. <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he he's gonna he's gonna be good to go, uh, good to go there. You know what you know what you're gonna get. But as far as him at the bottom of the order, and the Braves kind of, you know, we're we're and we'll talk about more about the rotation and the, the bottom of the lineup has not been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could certainly use somebody there to kind of uh, fortify that sector there. So maybe Pache breaks out and maybe he has a little immediate offensive success because in a season like this. A stretch like Riley had last year, and I'll say he's going to do that. But you know, just a good stretch like that goes a long way. No doubt, it'd be extremely welcome for the Braves, and we'll get into the lineup in just a minute. But I, I want to go back to something, that, and I know we discussed this a little bit, but I think it's kind of a shame, in particular, not just for the pitchers that we've talked about a lot, for the Ian Andersons and the uh, the Kyle Wrights, even and Tucker Davidson, any of these guys that would have been in AAA, racking up innings and getting experience against opposing lineups we kind of forget or, or maybe just gets pushed aside that these position player prospects also are not getting the time that they would be having in AAA to grind out those at-bats, to make those adjustments, to get that experience, the seasoning, if you want to call it that. Christian Pache and Drew Waters and, well, anybody else that swings a bat, they're not getting that either. So it's a little bit harder, I think, to look over at your alternate site and know that you know a, a guy is either A, completely ready, if you want to call it that, or B, has been able to make whatever adjustments or accomplish some things, developmentally speaking, that any club would like for any prospect? For sure. It's one of the many challenges of this entire season. So they don't uh, – you know, Snit said that Alex had gone over there a lot to see him and to watch him. But, again, there's only so much that you can take away from that. Yeah. It's just like those exhibition games. Uh, if anyone listening, you know, if you had watched those – I mean, there was only so much you could take away from those. But we've seen Pache in the past few spring trainings. Saw him hit two home runs off Sean Newcomb a couple of years ago yeah. in an exhibition game. The power, I mean, it's evident that physically he's really growing. And it's easy to see why the team's excited about him and why he ranks so highly on all these prospect lists. But it certainly doesn't help not having a minor league season and just having to rely on all these, you know, simulated games and camp and everything so this is the best thing for him honestly just this and you know we talked about it this last week too but figuring out your future plans mm-hmm. that's a big deal too so for him to come up and just see what he can give you up here uh, that's certainly more valuable right now and developing up here than doing whatever at the camp it's been interesting if you go all the way back to spring training and we knew the Braves were going to have a rather crowded outfield to begin with it wasn't a surprise even before the shutdown and everything that's affected the way the season is running, and, of course, minor league baseball season being canceled altogether. But I really felt like Pache had the clearer path between himself and Drew Waters because they're very different style of prospects. Waters is an offensive-first style player, whereas Pache is an elite defender who I think for the last couple of years we've been hearing in spring training talent evaluators saying, well, he could play center field in the major leagues right now. The question was, would he hit enough to stay there? So as he's been answering that question in the minor leagues, I felt like, that's made things a little bit more clear for Christian Pache in terms of being able to project him and an ETA for him. But I don't know if you share this opinion. I'd just be interested to hear your take. But I don't really expect to see Drew Waters up unless there is either a rash of injuries or just something completely unforeseen for the Braves. Do you differ from that or have a different perspective on it? 
Yeah, you know, I, I almost interjected just to say I don't think we're going to see him. Mm-hmm. A lot of factors are at play here, but unless several guys get hurt, I mean, there, there's always that caveat, especially with COVID, yeah. that maybe there's a situation that forces it. But under expected circumstances where they're only probably down an outfielder, you know, you know, here and there for the rest of these the rest of these 30 games. Um, I, I have a hard time seeing it. And like you said, uh, Pache always felt like he was the easier one to slot in because of his defense. Mm-hmm. And then if they, if they can try, see what happens with him, you know, maybe he does earn a spot for next year. And then they can kind of, you know, fill in that other outfield spot and then work Waters in sometime next year. I think that would be a lot easier for them. And not, and not to mention, I, I don't think that, I mean, this team is, despite the Soroka stuff, despite a lot going wrong, they are trying to win games. And, and I don't think that, you know, if you're, if you're trying to win in the playoffs and you, you want your best players, but the odds are it's probably not going to be uh, Pache and Waters just yet. And look, we're sitting here on Friday morning before the Braves go into their weekend series, and they are in first place in the National League East, and we're more than a third of the way through this shortened season. And I don't think that you can really bury the lead that this club being in first place and considering, hey, everybody's got challenges. You know, the Phillies have had to deal with some different things, some COVID-19 implications as well. Washington Nationals have not played great baseball. They've had some injury problems, among other things, and COVID-19 affected them. Their star Juan Soto had to sit around for quite a while. I don't know that that would have turned them completely around, but the Marlins, it's well-documented what they went through. They've been kind of an upstart team in the division, and the Mets have pretty much been the New York Mets. But either way, any way you want to look at this division, we knew it was going to be pretty competitive, and the Braves are still a first-place team, a playoff club. And I know we both get a lot of interactions on Twitter where people want to see you know, what these young kids can do, go ahead and get them out there, forget about 2020, get them ready for 2021. But again, as we touched on last week, it's going to be pretty hard to sell a large portion of the fan base as well as that entire clubhouse on, well, let's just forget about 2020 and go ahead and start making moves and decisions that may or may not blaze a trail for 2021 and beyond. I just don't think that you can allow yourself to think like that just yet from a leadership perspective or decision-making perspective like an Alex Anthopoulos or even a Brian Snitker, for that matter. For sure. And a lot of people wanted to wave the white flag right. when Soroka went down. And, and as a fan, I can understand that mm-hmm. uh, from the fan perspective, but nobody's doing that. Uh, <laughs> it's just like what Alex said right after it happened. There's a lot of talent here. And they're still in first place. They're still over 500. And depending on, you know, the matchup, they could very easily still win a playoff series or two without him because you still have Max Fried as an ace and if you could figure something out beyond him. But does it probably end their World Series hopes? I would think so, but you, you can't rule it out. Different sport, but, you know, when Nick Foles is winning a Super Bowl, you, you, know, you can't really rule anything out in, in this stuff. So the NL East has not been good. That's actually – been surprising to me I, I thought that this division was going to wind up being a lot better than than it's been so far but the Braves are the clear favorites here I would honestly be very surprised if they didn't win this division so they've got that going for them um, certainly there's value in competing in the playoffs winning a series nobody's really waving the white flag uh, in that organization right now yeah and it's going to be hard to get anybody inside that clubhouse to wave the white flag with 
you know, better than half the season left to go, and you're sitting in first place right now. And some things we're going to dive into as we get going, of course, is what can they do to help out this pitching staff. But before we turn the page to the pitching, I want to discuss some of the other challenges the Braves have had this year, in particular on the injury front. You're talking about Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzy Albies are now missing, I would say, significant time when you land on the injured list in a 60-game season, both of them with wrist injuries. And that's put a lot of pressure, as you pointed this out earlier, on other guys in the lineup to produce, especially the bottom of the order. We know how good those guys are, Acuna and Albies, but I don't know that we can understate how much it would mean to get them back. Because if you're a team that's running low on starting pitching or has a lot of question marks on your pitching staff, having a lineup that can put up a whole bunch of runs sure would be nice. Oh, yeah. And Travis Darno and Dansby Swanson have kind of been the heroes of For the sure. season. Um, certainly through through parts of it, but both of them have really helped this lineup immensely. And, and that that kind of plays into the point too about this team still, you know, being in first place and still shooting to win a playoff series or, you know, two, whatever they can do. They have not seen their four best guys, offensive players, click at the same time yet. Right. And we and I, we talked about this every week because it still hasn't happened. And now two of these guys two of the 10 to 12 most exciting players in baseball, quite frankly, are out. And, you know, they've been treading water, which is really all they've needed to do until they can get healthy again. Mm -hmm. So when those two guys get back, maybe this team can finally start to get rolling, have a strong two-week stretch that essentially, you know, puts them well into the driver's seat in the NL East. and, And we'll see from there. But Again, even with the rotation and knowing Soroka's not coming back, we have not seen this team anywhere close to as good as it can be. And I keep stressing this because it's hard to just sit here and panic or say, you know, this team is, you know, playoff fodder if they make it or they can't do it. Like, we don't know because we have not seen this. And this can be a very, very, very dangerous lineup uh, if they get those guys back and they're clicking. And then you have even one guy. Uh, toward the bottom of the lineup, figure it out, make something, you know, at third base, mm-hmm. if someone can figure something out. I mean, they're still, despite them, I think they're eighth in MLB and runs scored. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they've been a top 10 offense production-wise uh, without without their best guys uh, producing consistently. Yeah, I would agree with that. And the weird thing about it is, and I ran some numbers during the last series, I don't think people were too thrilled to see it, but, I mean, this was a, a club that's seven, eight, nine in the order hitting well below 200 with, I think, a combined five or six home runs at the time. And it's been a couple games. I haven't, you know, decided to doom scroll through the baseball reference batting splits for the Braves lately and see what's going wrong. But without Ronald Acuna Jr. and Ozzie Albies, the trickle-down effect on the rest of the lineup, I mean, think about if you had somebody like Dansby Swanson hitting sixth or seventh at that point and you have a Travis Darno maybe hitting fifth or sixth and just being able to lengthen the lineup. We've heard that term used so many times over the last few years about well, what does a player like so-and-so bring to your club? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. It helps us lengthen the lineup. That was like getting Nick Markakis back or signing Marcelo Zuna. It has an effect on everybody else because it changes their roles immensely. And uh, one guy I want to hit on because I feel like, and we've already said his name several times on this podcast, Austin Riley has shown some signs as well over the last week. He got robbed of a potential go-ahead home run by an outstanding play by Victor Robles a couple of days ago. But Austin had a nice little series against the Nationals, and I certainly hope, for the Braves' sake, for him, for the third base, the clarity of that position, it'd be pretty nice to see Austin Riley get on a roll. And with Johan Camargo having to play a lot of second base lately, that could also mean a lot for the Braves, 
not just for the immediate future, but down the stretch as well. Yeah, this has been Riley's opportunity. To this point, his season has certainly been underwhelming. There's no doubt about it. I, I mean, I think I've said this on here before too, but in his defense, there have been signs, and like you, and like what you just said. I, I mean, he's had some nice at bats, and they just didn't translate. Even that first, I thought that opening day, uh, he had some nice at bats, and he ended up he ended up striking out three times or something. But it, at some point, it needs to translate into production, though. And to this point, it hasn't consistently with him. Yeah. I mean, it's a big deal for the Braves right now, obviously, because we, we keep talking about having depth in this lineup and even how if Riley – if you get those two guys back, you can move Swanson down, you have Darno in there, Riley starts to figure something out. All of a sudden, you're looking at a much different lineup, and that's without factoring in Pache at all. So for him right now and for him moving forward, I mean, this next 35-game stretch is huge. If he doesn't figure it out here, you know, I don't know what they could do in the offseason at third base, but, you know, you know, certainly they like Riley, and, you know, they were hoping he was the third base of the future, and you're not going to rule it out after 60 games. Yeah. But, I mean, they very well could address that position, and, and that would really complicate things for him moving forward, possibly. Yeah, and that's, I think, something that it'll be a conversation they can continue to have, depending on the results of the season, as you pointed out, but also once they do get into the winter and start assessing their needs there, but there's a lot of things that are going to have to happen before we get to the winter that are maybe going to have to happen in the next few days, at least the next uh, 10 or so days, because the trade deadline is right around the corner, and the Braves still have a rotation that, in large part, consists of Max Freed and a lot of patchwork. Kyle Wright got optioned down to Gwinnett. I'm sure he's not there to stay, but he is going to be down. And with these off days for the remainder of the month, that's going to help the Braves out. And they could ride out with Freed, Josh Tomlin, Robbie Erlin, and Tuki Toussaint, which is hardly the rotation we were discussing back in February. And I don't think it's incredibly likely the Braves are going to stick with that group for two or more weeks in this season, barring anything else. And before we get to the trade deadline and kind of circling back to what's happening in Gwinnett, do you feel like right now we're starting to finally reach that time where the Braves have to seriously consider getting Ian Anderson and or Tucker Davidson to strengthen the rotation any way they can, setting aside the possibility of trades? Oh, no question. Like you referenced, they don't have to do that, you know, right now in the next several days because they have two off days and then kind of play with it. You know, will they want Anderson making his debut against the Yankees? Well, the Yankees are really injured, so it's not really the Yankees right now. But I don't know when, but it's about time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to answer that bluntly, and we said this last week, we were saying that Pache would make sense to come up over the homestand. And that Anderson shouldn't be very far behind him. And, and we stand by that. Uh, so, yeah, certainly before the trade deadline, it would make sense to – I've said before because Davidson was on the 40, it does sound like Anderson is ahead of him. I, I agree. Think it's just a, it's a, yeah, it's a talent thing. Uh, and that is not an insult to Davidson by any means. Ian Anderson is Braves' top pitching prospect, and he's extremely highly regarded. It's about time, but, like, we have to stress to people. Everyone wants to call these guys up, and I get it, and we're agreeing. But you also have to keep in mind that look at Kyle Wright, who's seasoned coming out of Vanderbilt. Look at Tukey. Look at Bryce Wilson. Look at Colby Allard. We can just keep going through the line of all these guys. It's usually not an overnight process. So to expect Anderson to come up and immediately be productive and cover all these innings and be the guy that needed in the rotation – 
that's a bit optimistic. So, yeah. But just to see what he's even capable of, and, and you, it can't be ruled out. You can't rule anything out. But just to have him up here and to just get a look at him, you know, given who this team is using in the rotation right now, like you said, uh, what if you had told someone back in February that in late August the Braves' rotation would include Tukey, Robbie Erlin, and Josh Tomlin – and not Mike Soroka, people would probably think that this team was tanking. Yeah. So it yeah, feel so, a lot like what's going on out there in Anaheim because the Angels they made some uh, moves over the season and thought, hey, maybe this is the year they take a step forward and with an expanded playoff field, they'll be great. And outside of really Dylan Bundy, who might be a name to keep in mind, not much has gone right out there. You would assume that the Braves would be in a lot worse position to your point than they are right now, sitting in first place, regardless of what else has happened in the division. Yeah, I mean, our buddy Julio out there, it's been a slow start for him. And, uh, it's unfortunate not to get too sidetracked, but it is unfortunate out there that they, they just can't they just can't get it right. I, I'd say poor Trout, but he's doing all right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think poor and Mike uh, Trout will be used in the same sentence in, in <laughs> any particular way uh, in the not-too-distant future, but it is a shame to see that. And I know some folks were kind of joking about, uh, don't you wish Julio hadn't left? And in some ways, I could say the, the short answer to that question might be yes, but he's also had a lot of challenges this year as well. And as we look at the trade deadline, this kind of brings me to the other half of this. Not only is it, well, can Ian Anderson or Tucker Davidson or Patrick Weigel or whoever you might want to try out, could they help your rotation in the short term or at least for the rest of the 2020 season? Jury's out on that. We'll see what the Braves decide to do with that. And we could find out sooner than later. But the trade deadline, we know when that date's going to be. And the more playoff spots there are this year, and also revenues being down across baseball. And we've talked about this, and I've written about this as well. That may stop clubs from spending on acquisitions the way that they might have in a normal season. And I don't know if I see any slam-dunk big-name pitchers that are going to be on the move. Do you? No, no, I don't. Uh, I've looked at this quite a bit. I love the trade deadline. I yep. love trade rumors just in sports in general, and so I'm 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 always one of, I'm I'm always one of the people to click the top twenty five MLB players who could be traded this deadline those kind of things. Right. I thinking about it, uh, reading stuff. Uh, the Indians are not trading. They're not trading Clevenger on a discount. I, I, anyone who thinks that's out of their mind. Uh, so that, so that I just can't, maybe he gets traded, but it, it would be for, it would be for a haul. And I don't really think he'd be, who's going to be traded yet anyway. Uh, because as we kind of touched on before, some of these guys, it just makes sense that if you're going to move them to wait until the, wait until the winter when, you know, there's a bigger, when there's more clarity to all this and mm-hmm. probably a bigger market. Um, you mentioned Bundy, like, I mean, sure. I could see that, but at the same time, he has another year of control. So if the Angels, by, I mean, clearly they want to compete right now, and they managed to find one starter who's decent, and I, I just kind of struggle to see why they would flip a guy um, when they're already going to have to patch their, patch their rotation together again this offseason and figure that out so they could at least have one guy there who they kind of know, like, okay, Bundy is – you know, a decent starter. We can we can somewhat rely on him. He's actually he's been much more than decent uh, right now. But right. It, it's just you go down the line, and it's just like I just named two guys who who have kind of been mentioned and floated out there. But you just keep going down the line, and there's like a reason against everybody who's like a big name per se. I wouldn't call Bundy a big name, but 
I do think they'll they'll acquire somebody because uh, if there's any GM besides Jerry Depoto who could you know make a move, it's it, I think it's Alex. Yeah. He certainly he knows he identifies the need and goes for it. We saw him with the bullpen last July. It's not the same thing now, but I, I would expect them to add somebody. It's just probably not. It's probably just going to be a rental at a low cost. And you know maybe that underwhelms people, but I'm not I'm not sure what else that that they can do unless they want to go out and pay that prospect premium, which can never be ruled out. But we haven't seen them do it yet, so uh, I have a hard time believing that they're going to be doing it under these circumstances now. Our buddy Mark Bowman recently in one of his Q and A's was saying that you know it might be a similar acquisition to when the Braves kind of bought low on Kevin Gossman. They didn't trade a lot for him. They got him. They brought him over. You don't really remember what went in that trade. It certainly wasn't the top prospects in the entire organization to get a Gosman. But when he came over in 2018, he pitched really well down the stretch. He was a solid, dependable starter. I feel like the Braves need to at least make that move, like a dependable starter move, and then maybe reassess what's going to be the larger targets. But there's, again, I feel like maybe the Texas Rangers could trade Lance Lynn, but why would they not ask for the moon for Lance Lynn? Because they'll have him next year if they want him. Mike Miner's kind of a different story, and he's having a bad year at an opportune time as well. And circling back to a guy like Dylan Bundy, he's coming off two really rough seasons with the Baltimore Orioles before he ended up in Los Angeles. But as you mentioned, control is such an important thing, and he has cut his hit rate, his walk rate, his home run rate, his strikeout rate is up. I mean, Bundy's trending in the right direction, and at some point the Angels have got to you know, look at it and say, what are we building here around Mike Trout, and how can we get better hasn't really worked out so well, but that might make them reluctant to trade the only starting pitcher that they have that's putting up any kind of numbers in a season in which they're 10 games under 500 and buried in the American League West. I mean, they don't look like a playoff club in 2020. That's the understatement of this podcast. But that doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to start throwing players and assets overboard in the attempt to not completely sink in the future. Yeah, and they have to, you know, do they take a step back? I've even heard some stuff about, you know, would they be willing to trade Simmons? And mm-hmm. he's going to be a free agent. And that could, you know, they have David Fletcher, who's a really awesome player. Yeah. You know, maybe that's a move that they could make. You know, maybe they do wind up moving Bundy. But, again, they have no intention of really taking a large step back here and trying to collect prospects and everything. I think Trout's 29 years old. Right. They just gave Rendon a ton of money. Uh, they're still stuck paying Pujols and Upton, which is unfortunate for them because that's money that they could be spending on more pitching. So I just I have a hard time believing. Like, sure, are they going to trade maybe some rental bullpen pieces or something? I could see, but a guy that has another year of control who's actually pitching well for them. And the Rangers, they're not quite. They don't have that same sense of urgency, but they are trying to win. They're in a new stadium that they're hoping is going to have fans next year. That's a big element of it too. Texas is ready to win. You know, they're willing to spend money. They've been outbid. So, yeah, I mean, Lynn, quite frankly, Lynn is like the perfect guy the Braves need right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, he's going to cost a lot. There's going to be, if Texas actually was willing to move him, there's going to be a lot of interest there. But having another year with him, considering how he's eaten innings, I mean, he really would be one of the ideal people for this team. But cost is going to make that difficult. And like you said, Mike Miner, tough year. From what I know, he really likes it out there. Um, You know, last deadline when there was rumors that he was going to get moved, he wanted to stay. Right. 
I mean, I'm kind of inclined to think he would prefer to just resign there, but maybe a reunion with Atlanta would would uh, would be interesting to him. But yeah, man, you keep looking around the landscape, and there is just this winter. You know, if Texas decided to take a step back and trade Lynn, which I don't think, you know, I, I don't really think, kind of like the Angels, they're not really looking to go backwards, but maybe one of the Indians guys is available. It, this is not an easy thing. So you, know, you referenced the Gosman deal. You know, mm-hmm. if they can get a guy with another year of control, that'd be great for them. Even if it's just a patchwork rental for a very, very low cost, even that would help. But certainly looking for another Gosman, a guy with some talent who they feel like they could unlock more if they get him into their system you know maybe another year of control i definitely think you'd have to sit down and start scanning rosters of teams who might be selling parts but uh, certainly that that seems to fit the description of what's most likely here yeah it's going to seem a lot more difficult to find those players identify those clubs with the expanded playoff field and a lot of folks have thrown around the idea of well, maybe go get Trevor Bauer from Cincinnati because he's going to be a free agent in the offseason. Reds have been right around 500 this year. I just don't think that the Reds will be inclined to just blow it up, and you don't really know. I mean, if they lose five or six in a row leading up to the trade deadline and they're sitting nine, ten games under 500, maybe. But what are they going to ask for him? And really, they could start a gigantic bidding war across baseball for an asset like that should they choose to move him. But they might choose to hold on to him in the hopes that they can re-sign him in the winter and we all know Trevor Bauer has some unique ideas about what free agency might be like. At one point, I think he was quoted as saying, I may just sign one-year deals for the rest of my career and never lock myself into a long-term deal and never give up the kind of control I have. And that's certainly not what most players are talking about when it comes to stability and things of that nature, especially if you're talking about a pitcher who's you know, right around his 30th birthday, I think, is going to be you know, before next season starts anyway. So long story short, there's not a Trevor Bauer, I think, that's definitely going to be available. If you go back to last year's trade deadline, there was a Zach Grinke sitting out there who did get moved and ended up with the Astros. I don't even see a, a deal like that where there's a pitcher who has a bunch of money left over remaining on his contract that a club just has to move. And right now, with revenues being the way they are, I don't know that there are a whole lot of clubs that are going to look at it and say, okay, we can definitely take on that kind of money right now in this economic climate. Yeah, I mean, Johnny Cueto still there's has one. a good bit of money. On, yeah, he, he has a good bit of money on his deal, but is he worth it? Is he worth taking on? Is that a guy who fits it? I mean, that's, that's one example of a guy who I think a team would just be happy to happy to move off his money. And we've already seen Alex and Farhan make a deal last year similar to that in dumping Melanson's money. And obviously they're close. So, I mean, maybe San Francisco, you know, San Francisco actually has Gosman, uh, who could be one of the guys available. He won't be coming back here, but and that's one guy, just to throw it out there, I don't, you know, because of the money. I'd have to look at his contract. I want to say there's another year on it. Just to stick a pin in that for a second, there's a lot of money yeah. left on Johnny Cueto's contract. It's 21, almost $22 million in 2021, plus a $5 million buyout of his option for 2022, in addition to, you know, the handful of millions of dollars that he would be owed in his prorated salary for 2020. So you're taking, I'll just say ballpark it, a 27 to $30 million, you know, flyer on Johnny Cueto at that point, if you're the club that's trading for him, maybe San Francisco eats a portion of that, but I can't imagine that they're going to assume a lot of that money. One of the reasons, to your point, that Melanson was moved was that San Francisco was able to get out from under that contract. Yeah, they're going to have a tough time moving Cueto unless they 
really pay down a, a mm-hmm. ton of that contract or even i i can't imagine yeah. they would attach a prospect uh, to dump money given where they are right now so that's not going to happen but and you mentioned bauer certainly all fans would love to have him on their team just for the pitcher that he's been but just for you know all the uh fun reasons but i don't see him getting moved and quite frankly the reds you know they were kind of one of those teams everybody liked coming into the season popular nl central pick if they just make the playoffs i would certainly think they're a team that has a a real shot here with bauer pitching the way he is if anything that team could just say we just get one of these eight spots we might have a shot to do some damage here so I, i i it would be uh, very far-fetched to think that a team that just went all in this offseason is all of a sudden going to start ripping things down. The only thing that would lead them to do something like that would be the financial yeah. uh, ramifications of the pandemic, which if they do that, I feel like that's something that would happen in winter. And yeah, if Bauer's only going to sign one-year deals, then you're going to see a lot, because there's nothing a, a team would like more than signing a great pitcher on a uh, short commitment. So <laughs> he's going to have one hell of a market. Yeah, if that is what he indicates, because he's going to have pretty much every contender from New York, L.A., Atlanta, just everybody will be uh, will be seeing if they can get him on that one year, you know, twenty three, twenty five, whatever million dollars. Who knows? It yeah, could be thirty yeah, with the be, way he's pitching be, this year. Like the Dodgers could do something like that pretty yeah. easily. Uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't rule it out. So again, like we keep knocking these dudes off the list. It's not easy to find the logical trade candidate but then again none of us had gosman picked so nope. <laughs> they'll find somebody and alex antopoulos has been very good at making these deals that i mean they're not announced until the club says here's a press release basically you don't hear about this rumored deal that was you know on again off again for two three weeks or a month or whatever it may be i mean he just gets in there finds that deal gets it done and you know, then they move on to the next one, which I don't think is a bad way to do business either. Let me get two more things in our good housekeeping portion of the Braves rotation discussion. Cole Hamill's name continues to come up. I think that September 6th is the earliest that he can come off of the injured list. I don't think at this point the Braves can plan around his return being anything that will be able to impact the rotation in a major way. And that's just the reality of the injury issues that he's dealt with this year. You'd love it if he could, but I think it's wishful thinking at best right now for Cole Hamels to solve part of your rotation problem. So part A of my question is, do you think Cole Hamels will be a factor at all for the Braves in 2020? And then I'll get to the next part of this, which has a little bit more to do with the trade deadline we just talked about. No, I don't. I mean, we'll see, especially with this team. You never really know, especially with injuries. Well, you know, things change pretty quick, so... When you just do the math and you just look at this, look at the calendar and look at where he is, I mean, could he at the end of the year, you know, make a one, two inning outing or something? Maybe, but I just, I just have a hard time right now uh, seeing how he eventually factors in. And that's a shame for him because he is a 36 year old who's endured two now. He had, he had an oblique injury last season, and now this. Is, he'll, if he isn't taking the year off, he's not going to pitch many innings if he does come back. Is this going to be the end of his career, or is he going to have to sign just a non-guaranteed deal? I mean, right. it's unfortunate for him. It's really unfortunate for the Braves, who, you know, you referenced people talking about keeping Julio. 
I mean, sure, you can look at it that way, but also they didn't expect Hamels wouldn't pitch at all. Yeah. You know, they didn't expect uh, Soroka would blow out his Achilles. I mean, there's a, there's a lot here that you just couldn't have anticipated. Yeah. I mean, remember when, when camp reopened in July, they were telling us that Hamels was going to be good to go for opening day. Exactly. That was a legitimate thought. And then he had the tricep stuff. And it's just, it just hasn't happened. And I just have a hard time believing right now. Now, then again, most of us, you know, Darren O'Day came back and pitched last year. He's a reliever. It's a lot different. Sure. But uh, you never know. That's the only point that I'm making. But to answer the question, you know, is he going to have any impact or I'm not even sure he's going to pitch at all, but I would certainly say uh, no impact. You know, I'll file it under stranger things have happened, but at this point, and you made a lot of great points about just the reality of the situation of where they are. It's a shame for Cole Hamels. Of course, it's a shame for the Braves. I know it doesn't make fans feel any better. I mean, they don't really have anything invested in Cole Hamels other than the Braves just signed him, and they were hoping he would make their team better, and he simply hasn't had the opportunity to do that for arm injuries, a shoulder injury, a triceps issue, whatever the case was at whatever the time was. And then, of course, you wipe out three-plus months, 100 games of the season because of a pandemic. And a lot of things have worked against Cole Hamels joining the Braves rotation in the year 2020, and we'll see if he does. So I guess part B of my question, which may be the most important thing, is how many deals do you think Alex Anthopoulos will end up making to strengthen the rotation? And I'll ask this. And we can revisit it next week, and then we can revisit it after the trade deadline because we got a little bit of time between now and August 31st. I'm going to set the over-under on trades for Alex Anthopoulos for the rotation, just the rotation, at one and a half. Are you taking the over or are you taking the under? So that's where I would have it. And I thought about this before because if I remember correctly, we talked not too long before the deadline last year, mm-hmm. and we talked about how many deals he could make to strengthen the bullpen. Well, he made three, is that right? Yeah. So, okay, three moves to strengthen the bullpen, which was the clear need, but actually not as strong as the rotation need is right now. I, I can't think of the last time a Braves team had a more obvious, glaring need, number one need right now, than this team with the rotation, uh, as far as a contending team, not the rebuild teams. Those right. have plenty of needs. Oh, for sure. Yeah, long list. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, man, I... And you can, you, know, you can revisit this next week. That's kind of why I wanted to do it this way. Is like, And, and I'll throw my, my guess out there as well. But it, over under at one and a half this week, then in a week from now, once we've seen this team play some more games and we see what some of the pitchers in the rotation have done, we can reassess. And then once the trade deadline actually happens and we start to unpack the things that Alex Anthopoulos was or was not able to accomplish, then we can have our final results. So really for you and I, we've got a, a best of three right here to figure out what Alex Anthopoulos is going to do. And we don't have as much skin in the game as he does. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, he's going to try like hell to hit the other. For sure. You know that. Uh, I, I would okay, – let me put it this way. The circumstances would lean you to say under because you're talking about getting multiple deals done under this climate, which right now we have zero clue uh, how this stuff is working. So it's hard to just go and just say the over. But I actually lean the over just because of his history. Like, he attacks this stuff. Yes, he does. Uh, it, it's it's usually not just a, you know, one move. Address. Like, he usually just goes in. Like, we saw it in the offseason with the bullpen. We saw it last July with the bullpen. He's the type who really aggressively gets after this stuff. Now, and like you said, this could change. Maybe Ian does come up and looks good. 
And maybe that all of a sudden changes that he's less inclined to do this or that. But right now, you know, the head says under, but the heart says over. So I I could, uh, and it depends, you know, what if, what if Robbie Irwin is for real, you know, as crazy as that sounds, what if he's just at least good enough to kind of give this team four or five innings every time out? There's certainly things that can change this, but but right Mm -hmm. now they need more than one. Yeah, they do. As we've talked about as well, if you did a bullpen game once every turn through rotation, this is a club that could handle that. You just can't handle doing that two, three, maybe four times through the rotation over and over and over again. And that's what this club has been given once Mike Soroka went down. Mike fulton was a non-factor this year, you know, almost to the point that Cole Hamels was in terms of he got one start, it was a disaster, and then he was off the roster completely. And then Sean Newcomb's demotion that took away, you throw in Hamels, you throw in Felix, and then you add in the Soroka injury, you know, five contenders to be in the starting rotation that are not with the Atlanta Braves Major League Baseball Club at this time. And I think that drives me to say if Alex Anthopoulos is on his game as he has been in the trade deadline before, I think that the over is what I'm going to take. I think he's going to make at least the two deals. And they may not be the biggest names. As we pointed out, there may not be big names out there to be had by anybody. It just depends. But you got to make, I think, two deals. And even once you've made those two deals, just looking at the rotation as it's constructed right now, there's still room for Ian Anderson. There's potentially still room for Tucker Davidson just based on what guys can go out there and string some good starts together. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he could also go the direction of acquiring a guy who does have another year of control and acquiring a low-cost rental. You know, I mean, again, these rentals are not going to cost very much. These just average, you know, I, I can't really think of a you know perfect example at the moment. But I don't know if there know, are any perfect be, examples this year. Well, well, there's that. But just going out, getting a guy who maybe could factor into the back of your rotation next year, you know, hoping that Soroka comes back strong and maybe you could make a more impactful addition over the winter. But, yeah, I mean, you, it's like when you look at it, it's like, okay, well, if he could just – pay a little bit more, acquire this guy who has another year of control, a Gosman-type deal, and then also just buy low, get a get a rental who can just kind of cover innings. I mean, it, when you look at it like that, it's kind of easy to see how he could hit the over. Yeah. Uh, but no, that's a good number, and uh, certainly I would guess that they're going into this trying to acquire multiple starters, I'm sure. All right, so to sum up, I'm going to take the over on the one and a half here in week one of three, or show one of three that we do this. Are you going to go with the under or are you going to go with the over? Um, I have to go with the over. All right. I have to go with the over. Well, with, <laughs> let's see, 10 days to go before the trade deadline, we're both going to take the over on Alex Anthopoulos making at least one and a half trades. I've never seen a half trade before. That would be pretty cool. But so he's going to make at least two deals to help strengthen the rotation. This is outside of anything else that might happen for the Braves in terms of other trades or things that might be out there. But I'm pretty comfortable saying over in terms of if he can get the job done, the climate, though, financially speaking, or what other clubs are looking to do for their you know, playoff hopes, that might change things entirely. So we'll revisit this next week and see where exactly we land on that. But, Gabe, I appreciate all your time. As always, we covered a lot of different Braves topics today. Hope everybody enjoyed that quite a bit. Do you have anything in the pipeline that you'd like to plug, any stories that you're working on or things that are uh, on your radar as far as reaching the trade deadline and some of the coverage you're doing over there for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution? Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have some stuff coming in the next week or so, uh, just kind of previewing the trade deadline, you know, what guys could be available, what they're looking at. I'm still sitting down. I'm in the very early stages of kind of looking around at right. guys who can make sense and, you know, talking to different people about what they could see happening here. But we're going to have plenty. And 
So just stay tuned for that. And, and, and in the meantime, just uh, covering Pache's debut tonight, hopefully, if the, if the weather permits. So, so that'll be fun to look forward to. Absolutely. Looking forward to that quite a bit. Christian Pache, of course, the debut rained out on Wednesday against the Washington Nationals. Braves heading into this weekend series, though, hoping to see Christian Pache back in the lineup and hopefully making a little bit of noise for the Braves as they look to keep their winning ways going throughout the weekend. And we wrap up this episode of the podcast as well. So looking forward to that and looking forward to the trade deadline and uh, hopefully the Braves finding some answers to some of the things that are ailing them right now. That would certainly be a lot of fun to talk about on upcoming episodes. So Gabe, I appreciate it as always and look forward to catching up with you next time. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on as always. So that'll wrap us up for this episode of From the Diamond. As always, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Every episode of the show and much more can be found over at fromthediamond.com. And be sure to check out that brand new t-shirt that dropped last week as well. In play, yikes. You can find it at fromthediamond.com. Just click on the store tab where you can find it on Teespring as well. So my thanks as always to Gabe Burns for jumping on the show to talk some Atlanta Braves with me. And that brings us to the end of this episode of From the Diamond. But we'll be back to do it all again next week. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone. <laughs>